Welcome to Content Inspire, a podcast focused on sharing good people doing great things within the sports nutrition and fitness industry. Welcome to Content Inspire. I'm your host, Andrew Calvino. And today I have the legend and badass himself, Ben Hartman. And um, I'm just so glad and grateful that you're giving me your time out of your day because I know you, you are a stupid busy person. And, uh, but certainly thank you for, let, for letting me share your story and introduce yourself to the listeners. Yeah, hell yeah. Uh, absolutely privileged to be considered to be on. Uh, you know, you thank me for my time. I always thank everybody for the opportunity uh, to be heard and to share my voice and to share my story. Um, yeah, so a little, I mean, a, a small tidbit about me, about who we are. Uh, I have a pretty extensive history uh, in the fitness industry. I go way back, uh, you know, with academics in college, mm-hmm. uh, pre-physical therapy, exercise science, uh, undergraduate degree. <clears throat> Uh, I've had pretty much every type of personal training, strength conditioning certification you can have in the industry. I've taught for a number of uh, certification programs. Um, I have a master's degree in dietetics and nutrition with a special research emphasis on sports nutrition and supplementation. Uh, I got to study under some of the big, um, you know, big supplement uh, researchers from back in the day that were part of like the, you know, the pioneering, the creatine and pioneering all the caffeine research and all that kind of stuff. So I was able to kind of mentor, uh, you know, underneath some of those people, uh, professionally, pretty much everything I've ever done has been in the industry. I've personal trained, I've ran facilities, I've taught, uh, in sports science departments, exercise physiology departments. Uh, I've taught, you know, certification programs, um, managed corporate wellness facilities, uh, you know, done private contracting, private coaching, done all kinds of stuff. Um, I used to be sponsored, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> used to be sponsored by a pretty major company, uh, you know, 10 to 15 years ago, uh, back when I was still pretty active on the natural bodybuilding competitive circuit, uh, used to do trade shows, worked the Arnold. I wrote for their website, um, helped with some product formulation, you know, did the whole thing. And one day I was kind of like, you know, this is not you know, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing is, is pushing something that somebody else is, first of all, but the, you know, they were coming out with some products that I wasn't too thrilled with. Mm-hmm. And it, it started to go against kind of what I believe to be the right thing in the industry. And I've, I've talked extensively on, on other podcasts and, and, and other interviews about sort of living this truth. And I've always had this, um, <laughs> this mindset of just kind of li- living a truthful existence and walking a truthful path. Uh, my entire life. Even as a child, I remember thinking like, well, that doesn't feel like it's genuinely me. So I cannot do it. I can't even fake my way through it. And so, you know, coming up in the industry and having all these connections uh, and been being exposed to so much, uh, you know, whether it was academic or business wise or competitive stuff or all, all, you know, all nature of, of fitness industry stuff. I was like, I should do my own thing and do it the way that I think is the right way to do it. And whether or not I reach a huge population of people is irrelevant. If I'm doing what I feel to be the right thing and walking my truth path, and if I can help one person, eventually that person is going to, you know, be so confident in what we're doing and and believe so much in what I believe that they're going to tell, you know, a hundred other people. And one of those people is also going to believe. And eventually they're going to tell a hundred and one of those is going to believe. And eventually it's going to start to snowball from there. And I, I always believe from the beginning that if we, if we do things, you know, the foundation of, of the way that we do things, living that truth and, and seeking out sort of like that universal truth of how, uh, you know, how I come to these conclusions, then other people have to logically come to the same conclusions. And then naturally that will snowball over the course of time. And fast forward, here we are 10 years later and, uh, you know, our company anniversary, 10 year anniversary is next month. And uh, it's become something much, much larger than I could have ever possibly imagined. That's incredible. And um, normally I ask individuals, what's your why but i feel like you just answered that and yeah. that statement that basically you live your truth and you you don't fake it to make it you face it and then absolutely you face it head on so yeah. thank you yeah i remember uh you know so my wife and i have been together for almost 21 years mm-hmm. and 
people always ask us, you know, how did we get to the spot that we're in now? How did we make it work all those years? And I said, you know, from the beginning, you know, when we were in high school in the first month, I said, we're going to talk about everything. We're going to uncover the truth of every one of these situations. And if the truth is that we don't align, that our paths are not supposed to join together, then there's no, you know, no ill will in this partnership, you know, splitting apart. There's no, uh, you know, remorse or regret for walking that path and coming to that truthful conclusion. I always, I always said I didn't want to be the person that 10 years down the line or 20 years down the line says, how, you know, how, how the fuck did I end up in this relationship? How did I end up in this job that I hate? How did I, oh my God, what life am I living? You know, mm-hmm. people do that all the time. And they're like, you know, I just kind of woke up and I'm like, you know, this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm like, how can, how can you possibly live a life that isn't yours? The way that that's done is by not living a truthful existence first and foremost, because it's not comfortable to do so. Yep. You know, it's easier to not, not just lie to other people, but it's easier to lie to yourself and to accept, well, you know, that's not bothersome enough. I'm going to take one step in this direction. Well, one step in the wrong direction compounded over the course of time means that you're on a completely different path and eventually you will break and you will realize that you have been on the wrong path. And so I've been a very staunch advocate of living that truthful path as much as I can possibly live it from the very beginning. So um, I think you just said it out loud in regards to individuals that you hear all the time that complain about their job on a daily basis, but won't do anything about it to go update their resume and go look for a new one because they're comfortable or they're just so used to complaining that it's part of the uh, part of their daily routine to vent about the bullshit. Yeah. You said it. It drives me nuts. You know, it's like you can complain as much as you want if you're actively doing something to change your situation, you know, complaining, venting, you know, getting it out, whatever that might be, I think can be a very productive part of Mm -hmm. uh, finding that peace, but you have to take action, you know, complaining for the sake of complaining and venting just to do it consistently forever without changing anything is is a fucking waste of energy yeah and then um i'm gonna drop a quick question your way ben um how did you get into fitness man i guess the you know i guess the the very earliest part uh you know a lot of people have the classic you know high school weightlifting sort of gym story Mm -hmm. i have vivid, vivid memories of my very first time setting foot in a weight room, my freshman in high school. I remember the exercises that I did. I remember where I was at in the weight room. I remember being so sore the next day and just loving, loving it. Uh, And then I remember diving into, you know, bodybuilding magazines and Mm -hmm. exercise physiology books. I mean, even when I was like 14 and I didn't understand half the shit that was in there, but I was like, this is fascinating to me that somebody can essentially like create their own their own destiny you know it's i uh much longer than that i was kind of like an art prodigy growing up and everybody always thought that i would go into art um hmm. and when i when i got into the fitness world it became that combination of of my science brain and this art side of my brain where i could see what i want to accomplish apply these basic scientific principles but do it in an artistic fashion that allows me to express, you know, what I'm trying to accomplish. It was the perfect merger for me. And I, man, I mean, once it started, I just became absolutely obsessed uh, from the very beginning. Well, thank you for sharing that with me and the listeners. Also, you brought up a great point in regards to bodybuilding being like an an artistic outlet at the same time. I believe Kai Green is the one that said it where your body is a canvas. And you basically are in charge of the way how you look, whether you're in prep, off season, on stage, you name it. So, yeah, that just got that just gave me chills. Good. Yeah. You know, it's it's art and it's athleticism. And when you look at even the great, you know, the stoic philosophers of, you know, of antiquity, they always talked about this complete merger of mind and body. And Mm -hmm. yeah, you should be well studied and you should be introspective and you should be truthful with yourself and you should face these realities and you should challenge yourself and you should push your body, you know, to the brink of what it's meant to do. And you should, should cohabitate that, that physical, uh, you know, energy with this, you know, this cognitive development that you have to become kind of like your ultimate potential as a human being. And, you know, again, going back to that truth, I've always kind of had this idea that if I'm going to live this life that I've been given and I'm going to live it for myself, 
mm-hmm. truthfully for myself, then why would I squander this chance that I have to exist at all by fucking the whole thing up? Not only by living it fake, you know, it fakely, uh, but not maximizing everything that I that I choose to pursue, that I choose to add onto my path. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And if it's not worth the energy in doing it, and it's not meant to align with the direction that I'm going, then don't put any energy into it at all. Or at least not, you know, not enough that it drains you. Okay. And um, thank you for sharing that with me and the listeners, my man. And another quick question your way is, do you remember the first supplement you ever took? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, the very first one that I took was a really bad, bad uh, whey protein powder from GNC. Um, okay. That my dad brought, bought my brother and I, and it was vanilla, and it was very, very chalky, and did not mix at all. And we had to blend it up in the blender. And I, I distinctly remember coming home, uh, you know, from from lifting after school in high school, and read in the magazines you should have protein and, and carbs after training. And I would blend up apple juice whole eggs, this disgusting protein powder. And then I put chocolate syrup or uh, jello pudding mix in there for the sugar. I mean, all kinds of stupid shit and just blend one of these bad boys up and, you know, fill the blender up and just chug it. And I would do that religiously every single day. I did that for, for like all of high school religiously. Yo, that is insane, but <laughs> um, pretty badass. Not going to lie. I remember my first supplement was um, BSN original NO, NO explode orange flavor and my I, I i would mix it with orange juice no shit yeah and then um another quick question your way is what made you want to start your own supplement company yeah so uh, you know i touched on it a little bit with regards to seeing what was in the industry and knew and and knowing that mm-hmm. i could do something that felt better but the flip side of that was you know i was on a career path that i enjoyed and it was fulfilling in that moment, but I knew that there wasn't a lot of long-term potential in that, in that position. Uh, I was working for a major university in the area, uh, pretty heavily involved in student development and, and mentoring a ton of students and managing tons of fitness and wellness programs. And I loved what I did, but the money was, was shit and there was no way to advance my career. And my boss at the time, who barely made any you know, more money than me, her daughter called the babysitter mom she worked so much and she was never home and she had a nervous breakdown and walked into work the next day and quit and i remember talking to my wife i said not only do i not want her job even for the you know extra three grand a year that she made or whatever it was but if we're trying to have a family someday you know we both have jobs that aren't going to make any more money we have no way to save to pay down any major debt how the fuck are we supposed to have a kid how, how am I supposed to raise a kid? How, how am I going to pay for childcare? It, it makes more sense for me to quit my job and work part-time and then just provide childcare. I, we would net even you know more money than paying two-thirds of my old salary out to ch- full-time childcare and then never see my own kid. I said, so what I'm going to need to do is something that I can be home and, and work and supplement my wife's income because she always made more money than me up until, you know, the company became something bigger. Now we both, you know, work for the brand. Uh, But the long-term game plan was, okay, well, I'm going to quit my job eventually. I'm going to do something from home, raise our kids, supplement the income, live off my wife. That way she can foster her career development and life will be great. And so I was doing a ton of coaching at the time back when online coaching wasn't even a thing. I mean, we're talking like before Instagram, before Mm -hmm. I mean, even before Facebook to a certain degree, because that's, you know, Facebook was made towards the end of my college tenure. And I started doing some of this before that. Um, And then once, you know, once things fell, kind of fell into place with the old supplement company that I was with in terms of products they were coming out with that I disagreed with and uh, the way they treated the athletes and some of the marketing tactics that they wanted us to do. And I said, you know, this is not, this is not right. And I know I need to take life in this direction. And I have these contacts and I have this formal education. Oh my God, I'm supposed to do this and go this way. And I just, I, I remember coming home uh, and telling my wife, I said, you know, I'm done with this, this life. We have to find a way. I'm going to start a supplement company. I need all of our money in savings, which was not much. 
and I'm going to, I need to start this company and this will be the way that I contribute. And she goes, okay, I believe in you go do it. And I drained our savings down to $10 and 62 cents for a couple of years. And we had no, no emergency funds and no way to do anything. And we got very lucky that nothing happened and, you know, started it with the minimum amount of everything and just kept turning the company over and turning it over and eventually quit. Eventually just kept growing the company. And, you know, that was all those years ago now. Wow. I literally just got chills. You saying that at the, at the end of the day, you went all in on what you believed in and the yeah, fact that yeah. your wife, a supportive partner said, I believe in you. That means yeah. the world to a lot of people. So it was huge. I mean, and I've always been an idea person. And back then I was not as much of an execution person. Um, my wife is very much an execution. You know, we're very complimentary in that regard. She might by, by trade and, and uh, you know, she was an accountant before she became CFO of our company. And she always kind of ran our life, managed our life, you know, I don't know how our bills are paid. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do this. But she was she was the organization. And I was the concept person always. And so when it came down to that, it was the first time that she was like, okay, I mean, that's a big one, but let's go for it. Now, I was lucky that the first couple of years of the company, I still had my old job. I was very much doing it part-time at night. So it wasn't like I just quit my job and did this. We had a game plan in place, but two years uh, less than two years after we started the company, I quit my job. We ended up moving two hours away to a much better city. She got a much better job. And then she allowed me to essentially mooch off of her for the next five or six years before we even took a salary from the company at all. Uh, and like I said, every year that it got a little bigger and I said, man, I can actually pay myself. No, I'll wait another year. Let's put it all back in and grow the company. And then the next year, oh, it's a little bigger. I'm going to pay myself. No, I'm going to keep doing this. And the only reason I ever even took a paycheck at all was because we we had the kids we eventually wanted to build this house that i'm sitting in uh, and we needed some cash and we needed some proof of income um, but i didn't take a cent from the company until our seven-year anniversary wow um and then leading into the next question is how long does it normally take for you to take a product from idea to shelves so I'd say up until the last year of chaos across the world, mm -hmm. pretty typically we're looking at like a six month time frame. Uh, it could be faster if it's something like a pill based product that doesn't require a lot of flavor testing and back and forth. Um, in terms of formula creation, I can come up with stuff very quick, very, very quick. I've always been the type of, of person that uh, I flow really intensely, like get into a flow state and I, my, my mind just disappears into what I'm doing and I'm oblivious to the outside world. And it, it doesn't happen all the time, but when it happens, it happens to a pretty substantial degree. And there's been times where we've been sitting in the kitchen and something pops into my head and I tell her that, you know, Hey, I got to get, get on the computer for a minute. And an hour later, I'm like, I did it. She goes, what did you do? I go, I, I solved it. And I, created a product or several products that I had kind of in the back of my mind for a while and put them all on paper, organized everything, had several versions of each one, sent them off for quotes. You know, a week or two later, get the quotes back. One of the, one of the quotes would end up working. Uh, and then we just start the testing process. We'd get samples made. We'd go back and forth on that. We tweak the formula or tweak the flavors. Um, once we nailed it, I'd get with our designer We'd start working on label stuff, go back and forth. I'd get a hold of, uh, you know, the raw ingredient suppliers and get all the licensing handled if we were using, you know, branded ingredients uh, and that all that stuff. And then, you know, the manufacturing time, you know, those are the those are the things that take a long time. Uh, but, you know, concept creation for me is very quick. And then it's just standard production. After that. OK, well, thank you for sharing that. And um, another quick question your way is, what advice would you give to someone who's afraid of going after what they want? Man, that's a hell of a question. Uh, I mean, I, I would have them look at what are they trying to accomplish in life? And I don't necessarily mean like success or even specific pinpointed goals. You know, if if you could look back upon your life, if you were so fortunate to make it to the end, 
of your day and to be able to look back on your life on your deathbed with your family in front of you and think back about what your life has meant, are you going to have any major regrets? And if the answer is yes, then you are not doing the right thing. Uh, fear is a, is a, you know, small amounts of fear are good so that we don't become, you know, become manic and just do stupid shit. But that's never served anybody in propelling their life forward in a meaningful way. It's never done it. Um, if they have fear in failure, well, failure is part of the journey. Failure is just one step towards eliminating something that's in the way towards where you're going to be. I mean, you have, you have to fail to know that you're going in the right direction. I'd rather fail nine times and then have the confidence that the 10th time is the right choice than not, than not take any you know, chance at all and not do anything. Then you'll never know. Okay. I don't know. I just, you know, I, I think most people get in their own way with, ev with everything. They lie to themselves. They're afraid of things. They let their own insecurity drive their decision-making, uh, especially with regards to relationships. I mean, how many people totally fuck up their relationships because of their own, their own insecurities, their own bullshits, their own fears. I mean, that's where, you know, extreme jealousy and extreme possession and, and all these sorts of things come into play. It has nothing to do with the behaviors of the other person for the most part, it's everything to do with self-belief. And if ultimately you don't believe in what you're doing, then you're going to, to push that insecurity and that self-doubt onto something else, whether it's a, a relationship or a career path or a job or any sort of risk and say, well, that's not, you know, that's scary. That's too dangerous. That's this. It's all bullshit. It's because you're not facing your own self. So basically, essentially self-sabotaging yourself. Yeah, 100%. 100%. So the main reason why I ask people what's their why or what would you say to someone who is afraid of going after what they want for many years I was that I was that person so the main reason why I interview people on my podcast is to remind myself of my why on a daily basis what was my switch you name it so yeah oh yeah I like that um so another quick question your way is what is your training style in the gym some bodybuilders attack the gym with an all or nothing mentality every single set. Others use the um, reps and reserve method, deload week, et cetera. What do you do and believe in? That is a good question. So what do I do currently is not what I wish that I could do. Uh, training these days to me has been more maintenance and uh, avoidance of injury over any sort of long-term progression i've accomplished so much I've, I've competed i've looked great i've done powerlifting i've done strongman i've done all these things and i certainly wish that i could devote much more to that where uh you know my, my priorities these days is not in that direction i'm very much an all-or-nothing type of person where you know I, I mentioned earlier if i can't do something then i'm likely just not gonna do it uh but I look at my current training in the scope of, of my total, kind of my total health, uh, you know, moving forward. I want to, I want to maintain at least what I have, but I also want to be healthy. I have children. I have a wife. I have family history of heart disease. I have these things. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to age poorly. So there's a huge motivating factor in at least uh, punching the clock and getting what I need to have done in terms of what I think is optimal and what I've done in the past. Um, there has to be some measure of progress. So going in and just killing yourself can work, but it's a crapshoot at best. Um, things like reps and reserve, I think are good for very, you know, very well-versed trainees, very in tune with their own body. But how, as somebody that's got five years of training under their belt, how can you tell them to go three reps in reserve when they've never truly pushed themselves to a, you know, a true failure set, you know, then, then they're just going to shortchange yourselves uh, for those sorts of people. For many, many people, I much prefer just standard rep range targets because it's built in. You know, if you tell somebody to do three sets in the eight to five range and they get eight on the first set and it's, relatively fine and they get eight on the second set and it's harder and they get six on the third well they likely failed on the third but the first set was kind of a wash the next week 
they should likely go heavier or try to get eight on all three of the sets. It's kind of built in. They're automatically going to have some reserve sets leading into some failure sets. But if the person truly grinds out a failure set of eight on the first set, they're only going to get six on the second and probably only four or three on the third. And then they've overdone it. So it's if you follow those parameters of, of sets and reps, some of that is automatically built in, which is kind of how those systems are designed anyways. Um, I'm also a big fan of top set training, uh, not necessarily because I think it's optimal in terms of total, you know, total productive work output that can be done, but I think it's good for people as they get older, as they kind of need to not like absolutely kill themselves. So when you're younger, you know, you can do warm up and lead in sets, you know, maybe do, you know, a set of 10, a set of six, a set of two, and then go up to your top set weight and hit two or three sets of, you know, 10, eight, six, as you get older, that becomes a little bit risky. So I would much rather have somebody kind of ramp up and do like 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10. And then maybe on the last set, they only get eight. That's their top set. It's cumulative fatigue versus uh, maximal work output on those top load sets, uh, which I still think has a lot of merit to it. Um, and then again, progression is kind of built in. Once you get 10, you automatically do another set with some more weight, you know, and over the course of time, it may be, you know, eight to 12 week, you know, training block, you know, you might do five total sets of 10 where the last two sets are hard. The last set is to failure. By the time you get to the, the eight week mark, maybe you're doing seven or eight sets where the last three sets are hard and the last one is to failure, but you've added weight to those subsequent sets. So you've added training volume, not just by number of sets, not by total of reps, but also by load over the course of time. And it's that progression is built in. You don't have to think about it much. Well, listeners at home, Ben just gave you some gold. So I certainly do hope that you wrote that down or when this gets uploaded on YouTube, definitely uh, watch. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, percent based training and, and reps and reserve stuff obviously works. A lot of people use it and it works, but those are also based on your maximal output, which I don't think most people even know what that means. You know, yeah. even a percentage based training is based on one rep max and you can, you can do a five rep max or a three and follow a chart and have a guess. But unless you are truly good at pushing yourself to true failure, which most people are not then you will automatically shortchange some of the, the effort that you're doing because you're basing it off of your perceived max when your max is actually higher than that. Yep, correct. So thank you for sharing that with me and the listeners, my man, on The Real. And then another quick question your way is, what music do you listen to while working out or training? Uh, man, that's a great question. So up until literally the last probably year or less, I didn't listen to music at all during training. Really? Never, not once. Um, I enjoy music. If music is playing in the gym, then fantastic. You know that I enjoy them, fantastic. But my my biggest thing was I had a, a strong aversion to stuff on me. You know, I never wanted headphones or cords. Uh, you know, the people that have like the armband with like the MP3 player in it. You know, <laughs> I I can't think of something that would be more distracting than the asymmetry of having a device on one arm and not on the other arm. And then trying to pay attention to what you're doing and having a cord on your face. Nowadays, obviously, there's, you know, I have AirPods now. And as soon as I got the AirPods and popped them in, I was like, this is the answer. This is the, because they're not in the way and they're not distracting. Uh, so these days, I mostly listen to EDM. Uh, I'll find DJ, DJ sets that I like. And I'll usually do like, you know, an hour long live set of any number of DJs and just kind of start at the beginning. And by the end of my workout, I'm pretty much done with that set. And, Okay. Good. Um, who's your favorite DJ or artist? I'd say right now it's probably a toss up between Griffin and Elenium. Yeah. Um, I right. like festival wise. I like big, heavy, cranky dubstep as much as anybody. Uh, I like excision a lot. Nice. I've seen, I've seen Skrillex live back in the day and his light shows were crazy. Yep. Uh, but I don't prefer the heavy, heavy, heavy stuff to just casually listen to. I like a, I like it to be a combination of like traditional dubstep, you know, very mechanical sort of sounds. But I, yep. like, I like melodic. I like music. I like voices and melodies 
mixed in with all that. Okay, interesting. Um, so let me see. Next question is, what is your current diet or macros? So I haven't done macros in quite a long time. Uh, I, I've gone back and forth trying to maintain some sort of macro tracking during the week. And ever since I got done competing, you know, five or six years ago, I have not had a consistent week at all. Okay. I fucked it up at this point. Um, basically, what I try to do during the week is have some consistency during my day and try to not overdo it with shitty food in the evening like everybody does. Uh, and then weekends, I give myself some leeway. If I tend to get too out of shape, I try to scale back on uh, on those indulgences, whether it's a weekend, you know, instead of eating a large pizza, I'll eat a medium pizza. And instead of eating a giant bag of, you know, Oreos, I'll get a small sleeve of Oreos or something with less calories in it. Uh, but during the week, it's typically, um, I typically don't eat for a few hours in the morning. I get up, uh, I have a whole slew of, of supplements and things that I do both for health and a lot of it's for cognitive support uh, mm -hmm. and long-term brain health and some caffeine and I kind of half work, half uh, organize my day and then we got to get the kids up and then we have at least an hour in the mornings of getting the kids up, getting them fed, getting them out the door. Now our daughter's in kindergarten so they're going to two different schools and so there's a whole bunch of chaos. So I tend to not eat my first any sort of meal until probably 10 or 11 o'clock most days. Um, it's very typically a uh, some sort of lean protein source, whether it's turkey, uh, like turkey breast, or uh, it could be a protein shake. It could be Quest protein chips. Anything that's, for me, it's all about convenience. I'm not going to sit down and cook a meal during the day. Uh, and pre, you know, if it's meat, it can be pre-cooked, but I'm not, I'm not big on, um, you know, meal prepping for the week these days. I like more variety than that. Uh, and then usually during the daytime, I'll have, either a hummus or an avocado or a peanut butter or some sort of fat source and then some sort of fruit, uh, whether it's berries or a banana or something. That's typically meal one. Uh, meal two is maybe two-ish. Uh, it's almost always a shake and something small. Again, more maybe more fruit, maybe another small fat source. I go to the gym usually around four o'clock most days. Um, when I come home from the gym, I have a shake. And then dinner time is pretty much whatever we feel like having. Most of the time these days, we uh, we order something in, uh, especially the last year with COVID. It, it just got so easy to do Uber Eats or, it, you know, or one of those things. So we'll get, uh, like last night we had Chick-fil-A. So I got two grilled chicken club sandwiches and a side of their mixed fruit. And that was dinner last night. Um, some nights we'll get sushi. Some nights we'll get poke bowls. Other nights we'll get... Uh, you know, maybe steak and sweet potato from a, like a Texas roadhouse or something. Um, and then once a week, we might cook a meal. We might cook salmon or uh, like we get ground, like ground elk, ground venison from a store down the street. That's really good. And, you know, we'll cook up a variety of stuff like that. Typically a, a mixed variety of healthy food, you know, some vegetables, some fruit, some, some of this, some of this, and kind of mix it all together. Cause we're also feeding the same stuff to the kids. And we want the kids to uh, and then at night is usually when I dip into the candy or the cookies uh, and have a protein bar or a shake or something. And that's a pretty common day most of the days. Okay. And then I know that Morphogen has dived into the protein bar market. So how different is that from powder and pill to the protein um, bar? Yeah. Well, I mean, so the biggest thing for me is uh, a combination of convenience and fulfillment. Um, I would much rather have something that I don't have to carry around a large amount of, you know, I don't want to have a shaker and find water and do this and do this. Uh, if I can have a bar that's in my pocket, if we're going somewhere, you know, especially if we're going to a concert, if we're going to a friend's house, if we're going, you know, on a, on a car ride, if we're going to something, I like to have something easy. Uh, but I, I just, I like bars. I like convenient food. I like um, the sweetness of bars. I like, you know, I like, I like junk food. I like cookies and candy bars. So if I can eat a protein bar that is close enough to that and fulfills my protein needs and has some whole food components to it and isn't filled with a bunch of, uh, 
you know, mono and diglycerides and trans fats and corn syrup and all this other bullshit. And then like, hell yeah, that's the best, you know, combination of stuff for me that makes sense. Okay. So that's why we made them. Sweet. Thank you for sharing that. So with I, it's basically, it's basically so I can eat them and not, and not be a complete uh, asshole when it comes to portable food. <laughs> All right, listeners, you basically heard it. Well, ben made the Morphogen protein bars just for himself, and then now you guys are able to get it. So, yeah, honestly, I made the whole brand for myself. Uh, in the very beginning, even the way that I, you know, our very first product was our pre-workout Alphagen, and I always said, if nobody buys this, then I have my favorite pre-workout for the next few years. And I, you know, I was still very actively competing then. Um, I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to have, you know, this, this is the best. I'm going to have at least enough for me. And if people buy it, then fantastic. And if they don't, then, you know, it's not money wasted. Um, obviously the brand has grown far beyond my own needs. Uh, I've developed a number of products out of, uh, like my family's needs. So I mentioned my, you know, family history of heart disease. My mom had a heart attack, a pretty bad one before age 60. My, on my dad's side of the family, my dad's dad died when I was a, a baby from heart disease. So we have it on both sides. Uh, so I created like Morpho Prime, our organ health product. I created that for my dad because my dad was trying to take all these individual health supplements and he wasn't, you know, buying the correct ones or buying the right amounts. And uh, he was like, I don't want to buy 10 different products. I don't want to mix all this shit together. And I always said like, why didn't somebody just make everything you need and put it in one? Poof. Well, I'm, I'm going to do it. The reason that nobody had done it is because they, they couldn't monetize it. And I said, well, if it can be done, then, then it must be done. And I'm, then I must be the one to do it. I have this like responsibility to fulfill that. Uh, and so I made that one for my dad specifically. That's so sick. Yeah. And he, and him and my brother use it, use a few of our products, but that one specifically, uh, and they don't even tell me they go on the website and they order it and yeah, which is fucking great. The fact that after all these years that my, my family, chooses to use our products and they don't even make a stink about it anymore you know it's not even me like encouraging it they're just doing it It is is just incredibly fulfilling that's incredible um and so the next question is on your downtime do you watch any tv yeah yeah uh, my wife and i are big uh we're big tv and movie people um nice. We don't do it a ton, but typically every night we get the kids in bed. Um, we have a, a room in our house that's kind of like a half level basement room and we soundproofed it and we have a giant TV and we have this giant, super comfortable sectional down there. And that's kind of like my room. That's like my playroom. I have, um, I collect uh, like old toys and like movie memorabilia and, and just random shit and movie posters and there's a scoreboard down there. I mean, it's like, it's like a total, just, it's like 12 year old me. If I, with my current, you know, salary, what would I put in this room? And so we go down there all the time, pretty much every night. And, um, you know, we hang out for a little bit and talk and kind of catch up on stuff. Uh, some nights I take the computer down and I'm like half working at the same time. I'd say most nights I'm probably doing that. Uh, but we're big on, you know, finding a TV show that we love and just, that's the only thing we watch for the next three weeks until we're done with all of it. And then move on to the next one. Uh, we love going to see movies. If we can't go see a movie, we'll watch a movie downstairs. Um, so we probably watch maybe an hour and a half of TV most days, I'd say. Okay. Um, this is a Netflix recommendation that I give to almost all my guests. Have you ever seen The Magicians on Netflix? I have not. I've seen it recommended several times. We just haven't gotten to it. I highly recommend it because it's like Harry Potter. If the students were in college and were enjoying life, adult drinking, but still saving the world. Plus like the way how they use magic just like makes my jaw drop. It's incredible. Right. So I yeah, well, we're big Harry Potter fans and I love all that sci-fi and fantasy, um, all those genres. So that's, uh, I'll have to talk to the wife, see what she thinks. Perfect. And then um, a personal question. So um, Sam Smith, who was part of the Ghost Fam, made the transition now to joining Morphogen. How has that been in regards to him joining your family? Uh, Sam is an awesome dude. Um, 
for somebody so young to not only have so much talent and so much potential, but to just be such a good, positive person in this industry filled with fake, especially now, social media is filled with these, just these fake assholes that are looking for, uh, you know, whether it be fame or money or validation or an ego boost. I feel like he is one of the few that are, are doing it for the love of the game more than anything. I mean, even when you look at, you know, the way he sets up his, his poses, the way he does his posing routines, like it, to me, it's, it's artistic. And I, I've told him that I'm like, I love just his free posing that he does on his Instagram stories. I'm like, bro, that's, that's what the sport is about. Like that's the shit that it's about. And he gets it. And the fact that he's taking that passion and putting it into a career where he can generally help people, but he's not forcing this, you know, this marketing game, this coaching marketing game that so many other people have uh, is huge. Uh, regarding this, the transition from ghosts, you know, we've always told people that we don't, we don't want to force anybody to do anything. You know, I used to be that person, you know, years and years ago that had this formal contract that forced me to do certain things. And I swore that I would never have anybody do it. So we don't have anybody sign any like loyalty contracts with us where it's like, they can't promote this or they can't do this. I'm like, if you feel strongly that you want to promote somebody else's pre-workout, but you love all of our other shit, then like, then go do it. I'm not going to force you to not do that. Um, I like Ghost as a company. I, I think their formulas are good and, you know, within their market that they're, you know, that they're shooting for. Um, I know Dan, who, you know, the owner of Ghost, Dan's an awesome guy. Uh, you know, we text every now and then. Uh, I have a lot of respect for how Ghost operates as a business. The, the type of brand that they are is not the type of brand that we are. And that's, it doesn't align with who I am specifically, but I, I you know, I don't see anything inherently wrong with, with what they're doing. Uh, Sam's transition was more about his growth as a person and as an athlete and less about what each company represents in the right now, where he, I think he saw a lot more potential, uh, to fit in with kind of the, the image that we have now and the image that we're going to be putting forth over the next, let's say five years, um, than he did over there. And when he was with them, he, you know, he did good things and they treated him well, and now he's with us and and it's the same sort of relationship. Uh, he even, you know, he talked to Dan before the whole switch and Dan was like, yeah, I, Ben's an awesome dude. Like go for it. And if he still wants to wear a ghost hoodie and use one of their products in his story that I don't, I don't care. Like literally like if that, if that feels genuine to him, then I would rather him do that and be a genuine person and have that genuine message come across than sever ties and only ever do our stuff. Cause to me that even if that were, even if that were true, like even if he wanted to completely sever ties and only ever be nothing but us, to me, it, it feels disingenuous from an outsider's perspective. It feels bought, bought and paid for, right? And these people that align with one brand and so like staunch advocates of one brand and then they jump with other staunch advocates of one brand and like that is it forever. To me, it feels bought and paid for and, and that that is never the the sort of image that I've wanted to portray in bringing people onto the family, you know, onto the, you know, the Morphogen team. Uh, but it's not how I would want to operate if I was them. So we're not going to make them do it. Okay. Um, I worked with Sam for about two years on the takeover team. So I'm happy to hear that he's doing great with you guys over there. Genuinely happy. Yeah. So. Love the kid. He's uh great potential in the sport and just a good fucking human being. And I can't ask for much more than that. Awesome. And then you did bring up a great point. I would see all of these IFBB pro bodybuilders jumping from one brand to the next, to the next. And I'm just there like, why are you fucking whoring yourself out? And it's like one second. Yeah. I'm using, um, muscle meds. And then the next I create my own brand. I do this, I do that. Yeah, and yeah. Like, it just comes I mean, so fucking fake. It does. It, and the thing is, is, I think a lot of that is not even designed to, 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 you know, for any nefarious purpose within the domestic market. When you look at the, the reach of bodybuilding, especially now, it's growing so fast in the Middle East and in Asia, you know, in India, mm -hmm. in places like that, where they don't have a lot of resources like we have, you know, they don't have a thousand brands. It, you know, readily accessible. So having somebody like that from a, a marketing standpoint, join on 
And to be able to grow a brand in those markets makes a lot of sense from a business perspective. And from the athlete perspective, it makes sense for them because they can grow their, their personal brand in these giant growing markets where now if they're promoting their own coaching or their own, you know, X, Y, Z, other things, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, yes, it feels disingenuous. Yes, you could say it's whoring out. Um, and it is, it is. What I, you know, if it were me in their position, I don't think I would do it. But I am also a hyper stubborn asshole about, you know, living that truth. I think most people have given the opportunity to drastically improve their lives financially to take care of their families. If this were the, you know, if they, if they were in that position, I would hope that they would take it, even if it feels shitty, even if it is kind of the shitty thing to do. Um, you know, we, uh, we've had affiliates for us that did quite well, who then got bought, you know, by other brands. And I remember having a conversation with a few of them, um, before they made the switch and they were talking to me about the intricacies about how they can be rewarded with us versus how they can be rewarded with the other brand. And I sat down and I said, look, here's the honest truth. Here's how much our stuff costs to make. Here are the margins. Here are the, the expenses we have on the back end. If we give a discount here and we give a kickback here, if we raise those to match what the other brands are doing, we go out of business. The reason they're able to do that is because they're creating a, a product with a much higher margin because of lower costs of manufacturing, because it's not as over the top formula or, you know, however their products are developed, they're having high retail costs, uh, you know, they are pushing into some international markets. So financially, it does make sense that the math lines up. They are financially going to be able to take care of you on a greater level than I possibly can. So if this is a chance for you to make substantial more, you know, substantially more money to take care of yourself, to take care of your family, you owe it to yourself to at least entertain the conversation. And if that company is not shitty, you know, doesn't do bad things, then I think you can have a clear conscience that that might be the, the direction that makes the most sense for you. Now, I would never encourage somebody to align with a complete garbage company, uh, no matter how much the money is. But, you know, I also don't want to convince people to try to stay on board with us for the purity of it when I know that they can take care of themselves much more having something else. Okay. I think it's more complex. I, I think it's more complex than... Uh, than most people realize, you know, jumping ship is more complex. I think it looks terrible. I think it is pretty, I think it is whoring them out for sure, but I, there's complexity to it on the back end that I can um, certainly appreciate from the, the perspective of, you know, being a husband and a father and a provider and, and those sorts of things. So in regards to that um, point of view, where you have a family to provide for, you have responsibilities, then yes, I understand. It's just, if you see like an up and coming badass IFBB pro that's young, but that's signed with this brand and then contracts over and done with boom signs with the next brand. It just doesn't, for oh, me it's as, a, yeah. as a fan of the sport and looking into formulations, flavors, trying this, trying that. I just, that was the one thing that kind of turned me off. Cause I'm just there like. I essentially thought it was just whoring yourself out for the next. It is. It, well, and I saw so much of that when I was with that, the old companies from back in the day. And I saw a lot of it behind the scenes as well and how things were working with the contracts and with, uh, you know, the, the promotion, the, whether it was working the Arnold or working the Olympia or being flown to this or the photo shoots for this or who got paid what and who got free this. I mean, I saw firsthand how a lot of that worked and I was like, this is disgusting. Um, I would, I would never want to be a part of that. And I would never, I would never want to be in a position that that is such an enticing offer that I would not be who I am to take that offer, you know, mm -hmm. but I can't speak on behalf of somebody else's, uh, you know, personal ethics and, you know, what they hold valuable within themselves is not the same as mine. And so I can't, I can't possibly understand it unless I were that person. I would never do it. Feels like garbage to me. And then, um, last and final question: What would you like your legacy to be at the end of the day? Uh, I would like to be known as a person who inspired other people to live their truth, 
to get out of their own way, to maximize their own experience uh, beyond this industry, beyond this career that I'm in. Um, you know, if I can impact people in such a way that they can live the greatest existence that they can have, and again, this one shot, you know, it's like, at least my, my belief, my belief is that we have this one chance to live this, this life the infinitely almost impossible chance that you exist, that I exist and that people exist, that we have this consciousness, that we are given the opportunity to have these experiences as a human being in this day and age with this technology and these resources and the amount of experiences you can have. If I can inspire somebody to maximize their journey and not squander their opportunity of existence, then that, that gives my life meaning, gives it purpose. And so I would hope that my legacy is one that I can inspire people to get out of their own way, for sure. Perfect. And Ben, I just wanted to say thank you so much for giving your time being on Content Inspire. Is there anything that you would like to say to the listeners before we head out? Uh, I mean, nothing I want to uh, bring up to promote or you know, do any of that kind of stuff. Um, I love conversation. I love questions. Uh, you know, we get, we get a lot of traffic on social media. We get a lot of emails and yeah, a lot of the, you know, the entry level type stuff gets filtered through with our support staff. They do a great job, but I love, um, I love highly driven uh, customers who are self-motivated and intellectual and, and analytical and who who challenge things, but ultimately can think logically and think clearly on things that aren't, you know, necessarily emotionally mo motivated to buy a product. Um, and so I, if the, if you, if you, you know, you listening are that type of person, don't hesitate to reach out if you do have questions about something that we're doing, whether it's a product, an ingredient, uh, something we don't sell, you know, an ingredient that we don't sell, you know, I noticed you guys don't sell this and this is super popular. Is there a reason why? I love those sorts of conversations. Those, those really, uh, you know, re, I recharge by having those sorts of, of situations. I'm very, I'm very extroverted in that sense. And it's like when I can have a very intellectually stimulating conversation with somebody who not only challenges me, but also gives a shit, uh, man, it's like, those are, those are my jam for sure. So if anybody ever wants to reach out, feel free. Perfect. And uh, listeners till next time.